Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show for Wednesday, November 25th. Christmas is a month away and holiday shopping will soon be in full swing. According to a recent study, 44% of us plan to do our holiday shopping online. Although much of this is going to be on credit, we have very limited understanding of how our credit cards actually work. We'll be joined by Sarah Kesha, the Vice President of Money at Rates.ca, to talk about some of the pitfalls that you can avoid on this holiday shopping season. But first... All right, here we are Wednesday, November the 25th, and Bonnie Lissick gave a little Christmas gift to the people of Ontario. It was a scathing report about how the PC government here in Ontario has handled the pandemic. Travis Danraj is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News, joins the show now. Travis, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, a Christmas gift. I don't know, probably a lump of coal for the government today. Uh, This report is bad. Okay, so what are the major findings in the Auditor General's report um, about the handling of the COVID-19 response here in Ontario? And which ones do you think need to be highlighted? Well, so listen, this report is about 230-odd pages, I think, it's 231, I think. And it goes through in in quite uh, great detail some of the confusing communication that the government uh, has had over the past couple of months when it comes to this pandemic. Uh, Bonnie Lithic basically says the government did not inherit, uh, you know, a, a good system to begin with when it comes to emergency preparedness. However, they have done nothing really to fix the system. And she also calls into question whether or not uh, Dr. Williams really is leading the effort here when it comes to the pandemic management or whether or not it's politicians. I'll just read a quote to you. Uh, you know, the, the auditor says that the government needs to immediately assess the role and strength of the chief medical officer of health to lead Ontario's response in addressing subsequent waves of COVID-19. Yet the PCs want to extend his term next September. So in order for that to happen, it has to be formalized um, at by the majority of MPPs at Queen's Park. How pivotal will this report be in the decision-making to keep on our uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Williams? And listen, I asked Christine Elliott that very question about an hour ago or so at this news conference that she had. And it's interesting because, the, the you know, usually Bonnie Lissick would speak first if she tables a report and then the ministers respond. They obviously wanted to do damage control with the health minister coming out before Bonnie Lissick even speaks to the media to discuss this. And I asked her whether or not, you know, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Williams is going to stay on, whether or not she has confidence in him. She says she has 100 percent has confidence in him and that he will stay on and that in fact he is going to shepherd Ontario through this second wave so you know essentially the the minister is calling parts of this report fake news saying that you know the auditor general has mischaracterized the government's handling of the pandemic all right so the the government is in damage control but we know the talk is cheap did they present any evidence to the contrary that they can you know, uh, uh, bring out and, and show the people of Ontario that indeed maybe Lissick read it wrong. Well, you know, the, the health minister did say the government has taken all of the advice of Dr. Williams, that he really has been the one leading uh, the effort, despite the fact that the auditor obviously thinks differently. And she went through kind of a laundry list of uh you know, points that the government, she says, uh, you know, uh, to, to 
illustrate, I guess, that the government has been doing a good job. You know, the fact that, you know, numbers in schools are low, the fact that they did, did take decisive action uh, to shut down schools initially, uh, that the numbers, when you compare it to other large jurisdictions, Ontario has a fairly low case number, uh, although we did see, you know, the 35 deaths today, and we are topping, you know, well over 1,000 still cases. But she says, you know, the, the government has done everything that they can, and while, the, yes, there has been political advice, the medical advice has trumped that. So the Auditor General also discovered that the pandemic command structure became what she said was overly cumbersome. It grew from 21 people to 500 members and was not led by public health experts. We've been hearing a lot about that. Um, people accusing the Ford government of not listening to public health experts, asking for transparency. How did Minister Elliott handle that? Well, Minister Elliott said essentially that you know, the chief medical officer uh, was at these meetings because, you know, there's a question in the report as to whether or not, you know, he chaired the meetings, the, these health command table meetings that the premier has talked so much about in his news conference. It turns out the, the head of the table was not Dr. Williams. Uh, it was somebody uh, from the political side. But she says... Who was know, that? that? Was just, Do we know, was, Travis? Uh, yeah, it was it was the, the deputy uh, health minister Helen Angus, and, and so you know the the health minister said essentially that was done as kind of a formality because they didn't want to put that burden on Dr. Williams because he has too many things to worry about as opposed to chairing uh, this this table. However, his advice was was taken. But you know your point about the the meetings is, is key here because you know you go through this report and it does list some of the people. Or, or their titles, at least, as to who were on these tables. A lot of politicians, not that many health experts. I'll read another quote for you real quick here. Despite COVID-19 being a public health pandemic, we noted that those with public health expertise did not play a leading role in the ministry's response. That's very damaging. Yeah, it is damaging. And listen, the opposition already pouncing on this. Uh, you know, Stephen Del Duca, the leader of the Liberals, out with a statement saying that uh, Doug Ford can't be trusted, that he has betrayed the people of Ontario and thousands are dead on his watch. And we're back in a lockdown because of his incompetent leadership. The premier is going to have to answer some serious questions today. I know they're putting out their holiday kind of pandemic plan, um, which will get a lot of attention as well. But certainly this is going to be, uh, you know, a major topic at today's one o'clock news conference. And it will be interesting to hear what Bonnie Lissick says as well. What rarely do we see uh, a minister attacking the auditor general who's an, you know, a, 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 an independent uh, you know, body uh, like like she did today, basically saying this is this is not true. That she had a conversation with Bonnie Lissick and expressed that to her, and, and said that she was disappointed with the findings in the report. It's interesting, Travis, because when you watch the daily press conferences that the Ford government holds, there usually is uh, someone, you know, from, you know, it's, it's usually Barbara Yaffe available. But um, Bonnie Lissick said that for the Ford government's choice of not giving Williams the lead role in the pandemic response was unusual. And she also said that the fact that the premier became the key mo media spokesperson in this uh, COVID response was unusual. Do you know much about, I know that your beat is, uh, is Queen's Park, but who's handling the spokesperson role in, in other provinces? Is it their premier or have they handed it over to their chief medical officer of health? 
And this is the point that was made in the report as well, that as opposed to, you know, other provinces like British Columbia, um, you know, like Alberta, for example, that the, the main kind of spokesperson in a lot of these provinces, most of them in fact, is the chief medical officer of health. You rarely see the premier uh, out in front unless it is, you know, a, a policy announcement or something like that. It's the it's the the medical officer leading things. Now, while Dr. Williams has news conferences often at three o'clock, the, those are really trumped by Ford having these daily news conferences. Something he has done since March. Is he putting a, a target on his own back here, taking too much on? Well, I mean, I think that he. The political calculation is is interesting when you when you look at it uh, at that because you know I think at the beginning of the pandemic he he thought these news conferences um, would serve him well politically and and just to be out in front even the optics of just having him out there every single day um, during this pandemic I think the premier's office obviously thought that that was something that strategically was good for him to do, but it, it may have, um, and I'll leave this to the pundits to decide, backfire now that we, you know, see this very damning report saying, listen, Dr. Williams really should have been in front, and he took a backseat role to the premier in a lot of cases. I'll also point out the government spent $1.6 million on a consulting firm, which the minister could not name today, to create this COVID command structure um, and the minister said, you know, that firm did work in the States as well. She couldn't name it. But, but you know, it raises into a uh, question, why did the government spend $1.6 million for a consulting firm to figure out how to uh, formulate this table? Auditor General uh, reports usually come out with recommendations uh, for the government in power. What are the recommendations? Well, it, it is to assess Dr. Williams' role, essentially, uh, and, and for them to be better prepared moving forward. Uh, I mean, you know, the one of the key points of this as well is that while there are reviews being done, nothing really substantially has changed when it comes to emergency preparedness for Ontario, which is, you know, a, a big point because essentially what she's saying is that if there was another emergency of pandemic proportions to hit Ontario, we wouldn't be ready for it. So she's really saying to the government, you've got to you've got to get on top uh, top of this here and, and make sure that you have proper staffing and that you are prepared should another emergency uh, present itself. Travis, as you said, it's a long report. What's the one thing that people have to keep in mind when they, uh, you know, uh, walk away with this story today, the thing they're going to be talking about at the dinner table? Well, I think, and this question was asked to uh, Minister Elliott as well, I think it's a question of trust here, right? Because while they are saying, while the government continues to say, and they have said from the beginning of this pandemic, that medical experts are leading the effort here, this report really calls that into question. Uh, whether or not it's this tug of war between the politicians and medical experts and who is at the front uh, of this effort here. And this report obviously says it is not the medical experts, it's the politicians right now. And Premier Ford is going to have to answer that very crucial question today as to why that is the case. All right. I want to thank you for your time, Travis. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Kelly.
Normally at this time of year, if it was a normal year, I'd be starting to say it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas because we are a month away from Christmas, November the 25th. This year it's going to be different. But um, a recent study by Deloitte uh, says that COVID-19 has fast-tracked the shift to online shopping. I know that you can relate to that. You've probably endeavored in doing some online shopping, especially in lockdown, with consumers expecting to spend 44% of their holiday budgets online. The scary part of the study conducted for rates.ca indicates that although we are going to be turning to credit a lot, most people have a very limited understanding of credit cards, which can end up costing you more on your holiday purchases. Here to talk about it, Sarah Kesha, who is Vice President of Money at Rates.ca. Sarah, how you doing? Good morning, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. So let's run through some of the key findings in the study. And I may ask you to elaborate. I'll jump in here and there on some of them. But it seems that um, more than half of us need to get familiar with how interest works, correct? Absolutely, Kelly. What's staggering to me is that half of Canadian population doesn't quite understand how credit cards work. And that becomes more and more critical as we shop more online at 44% moving into this holiday season. And I would suspect with the most recent lockdown, that number, that figure is going to jump up from 44% from the time that the survey was done. So it's really important for Canadians to understand how credit card operates because it is going to be the payment vehicle of now and the future. Okay, so let's talk about how credit card interest is calculated. Yeah, so again, half of Canadians didn't realize that credit card interest is calculated on a daily basis. So when you see the interest on your the 19.99 interest rate that you see, you do need to divide that by the 365 days. 40% of customers did period is 21 days. So these are really basic elements of a credit card that consumers need to be aware so they can pick the right card, understand how it operates and make sure that, um, you know, there's no holiday hangover. They know the kind of depth they're getting to and how they're using this payment vehicle properly. Now, what you said there is uh, 44% or 41% uh, incorrectly believe or were unaware that grace periods are typically 20 days from the time of 21 days from the time of purchase. And the reason why I wanted to restate that is your phone cut out a bit. But why is that concerning? It is concerning because, you know, they might think that it's 30 days because usually your your statement, whether it's electronic or in paper, shows up once a month, and they might think that it's actually 30 days. So they're paying nine days worth of interest on that. Just being aware of that grace period is really, really important and understanding when interest starts kicking in on the money that you have borrowed on your credit card. So I guess it's important to go in, you know, into your online uh, site, check out your purchases and kind of find out where you are before they even send you the bill. Definitely. So, you know, what I find, Kelly, really interesting is consumers, we spend a lot of time, let's say, if I want to buy a jacket, I read the reviews online, I look at different sizes, and I take my time to select the right product. Now, a product as important as a credit card, we don't spend the same amount of time understanding it, reading the reviews, and making sure it matches our lifestyle. So, and I can appreciate it can be daunting. Financial products can be daunting to most of us. Um, but, you know, there are resources and tools available that you can go and say, 
I usually spend most of my money on groceries. What's the best credit card for me that gives me the most of that back, that gives me a lot of points that maybe I can redeem during the holiday season for my Christmas, family Christmas dinner? So at rates.ca, we have this amazing tool that compares the credit cards and actually makes a suggestion based on your spending and showcases all those important details of the credit card upfront to the consumer. I'm glad that you brought up the loyalty programs uh, situation because a lot of people, like myself, I buy everything on credit and I pay it off at the end of the month because I'm super uh, paranoid about uh, owing anybody anything. Um, But I I have one of those travel rewards cards because before the pandemic, it was my passion, traveling, and that's where I like to put my points. So if you have a travel reward... Yeah, if you have a travel reward card, my question to you is, is there some, like, can you look into how you can use your points in another way during this pandemic? Absolutely. So a lot of travel rewards program, although that's their primary, they do allow you to redeem your points for merchandise as well. Now, they might be a different ratio, so your points may go further as a currency on travel, but I would highly recommend, because none of us are really going anywhere for a while, to check your rewards program to see if you can redeem your points against merchandise. Sometimes those points are allowed to be used against your annual fee on the credit card, so you can use them to to pay for that fee, so which essentially makes your card a non-fee credit card. So I would highly recommend to use that because this is the time to get the most out of those financial products. I was reading a story a while ago and talking about it on the air about this guy who ordered a drum kit from an independent um, store in another province and it somehow got lost. And then uh, he was going back and forth between the shop and the uh, delivery service on who owed him money because nobody wanted to pay him back. It's important to look at your credit card details because a lot of credit cards offer shipping coverage. Shipping coverage, uh, essentially um, extended warranties on some of the appliances that we might be buying. So there's a lot of benefits embedded in most credit cards. Um, And, you know, we should be taking advantage of them because there is a reason that the product is constructed the way and we pay those annual fees, of course, not on all credit cards. It's because they come with a lot of features and benefits um, that are at disposal to leverage. So, again, What's really important to do that shopping on the credit card that's going to give us the most. Do you think that people don't know about how their credit card works because they're kind of operating under the impression ignorance is bliss? They're nervous about what they might learn, you know, because we heard stories of, you know, where credit card interest was through the roof in the past and our parents avoided them like the plague. It's a little bit of that, but it's also the Canadians generally have a lot of inertia. So I remember my first credit card, Kelly, was at university when I went to the bank and put $500 against then, which we call a secured card today. But um, so it's that inertia. But my life has significantly changed since I was in school, let alone now that we're all going through a global pandemic. So these are the moments, those life stages are when we need to, as daunting as it may see, and it's actually not that that bad. As I said, there's a lot of amazing, intuitive, simple resources to kind of compare cards for consumers and, and help educate them what, what each credit card has to offer. But at these life stages, at these events in our life, it's really, really important to take the time to select the right product and leverage those benefits. I really appreciate your time, Sarah. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, happy holiday season, whatever it's going to look like for you.
Happy holidays, indeed. Thank you, Kelly. All right. Have a great day. That's Sarah Kesha. She is the VP of Money. That's not a bad title to have at rates.ca. Hopefully you learned a little there. I definitely did. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Always a pleasure having you along. Don't forget, we broadcast live Monday through Friday from 9 till noon on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. If you can spare some time, please do. Otherwise, hit subscribe and download the podcast immediately to your favorite device.